We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Here we go, is that working? Well, I was saying that uh, Chris, in a conversation with him a little while ago, said they had some really good people of all ages here, but they were looking for some more older people to come. So my wife and I were thinking about changing our location church-wise, and uh, we've moved down here. You're still waiting for the older people to come. But it's really good to be with you. Um, My wife hasn't been attending the last few weeks. She's had a return of myeloma cancer and has been going through chemo for the last six months every week. And since Christmas hasn't attended, just to be cautious to make sure she gets over the line of finishing her chemo. And she was hoping to be here this morning so she could correct me and look at me and I could take my signals from her. So I feel quite bereft this morning without her around, uh, giving me her signals and feedback. But actually, she starts a new season. So half past eight this morning, she had to do a COVID test because she's got treatments on Wednesday and then Friday and then hopefully it's every four weeks. But uh, we really love being part of the church and uh, if you were perfect church before, you're not now because we're part of it and uh, you probably weren't perfect anyway. It's brilliant to be here this morning when Vinu's here. Vinu and I are good friends. I've been traveling to India uh, for many, many years since the late 1980s He's a really good friend of mine, and there's nothing I wouldn't do for him, and there's nothing he wouldn't do for me, and that's the way we carry on, doing nothing for each other. (laughs) It's been like that for years, hasn't it, Vinu? We're going through a series on Mark's Gospel, the good news about Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to be doing a reading. It'll be on the screen, but if you want a Bible, uh, if you want a Mark's Gospel, then lift your hands up and uh, someone will get it to you. I'm sure the stewards will help you. Otherwise, you can just follow it on the screen. And I'm going to be talking about being faithful or fruitless. Jesus is now purposefully entering into Jerusalem. He set his face to obey his Father and to die on the cross for our sins. And then he's going to be raised to life. And this is also in Jerusalem the Passover season. So Jerusalem is overcrowded. It's volatile. The Roman soldiers are on edge. Uh, The zealots there, they might uh, do something, a terrorist act. And then they also, within Judaism, got all sorts of different factions that fall out and fight anyway. In the midst of all this, Jesus is obeying his father, his call to be the savior of the world. And he will declare his kingship He does that in a way by entering the city on a donkey. And as he does it, as he enters into the city in this last week before he's killed, he also is challenging and exposing the enemy. And when we look at this passage, I want to focus on our lives being faithful or fruitless. And Jesus is now staying around Jerusalem He often stays in Bethany, which is just a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. And another place that's mentioned is Bethphage, which is very close to Jerusalem as well. So let's read together from Mark chapter 11. It's quite a long reading, but I'll try and hold your attention if you can stick with this. It's good to get the whole context. Mark 11 verse 1. 
As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell them, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. But when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins." I want to bring out some points that will help us and encourage us, I hope, in our discipleship. The first one is this, faithful obedience prepares the way for the king and his kingdom. I'm not going to focus so much on the entry of Jesus Christ, but I want to look at the obedience of these two disciples collecting the cult for Jesus. Who are they? Well, it doesn't say. It doesn't say who they are. They're unnamed. You can probably guess then it's not Peter, James, or John because generally they were named. And Peter is probably telling Mark all of this story anyway. Mark is recording what Peter saw. 
So in some way, Peter now and again is mentioned. So if Peter was involved, he probably would have made sure we got to know that he was involved in one way or another. These are two unnamed disciples. We don't know whether they're male or female, whether they're part of the 12 or not, but they prepare the way for King Jesus. He will enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Zechariah 9 says that's the way, fit for a king to come and enter into his kingdom. But Jesus needs the help of these unnamed disciples. I sometimes imagine, it's not in the Bible, but it's nice to think of maybe conversations that might have happened. You can imagine these guys, if they weren't with Peter, James, and John, then they, Peter, James, and John were people who were taken off by Jesus. And there was always a bit of rivalry anyway. Who was the greatest? It was a great conversation amongst the disciples. And what happens is that maybe Peter is sent by Jesus to get them. This is my imagination going on, so it's not in the Bible. But he maybe finds these two guys and says, Jesus wants you to do something. And these two guys say, wow. So it's not Peter, James, and John this time. It's us two. Maybe it's some miracle. He wants us to be involved in maybe some mission. And Jesus comes and he says to them, will you do something for me? Yes, Lord. Go and get the donkey. Go and get the donkey. And yet, amazingly, these two guys do it. These two disciples do it. They're given simple instructions. It still took faith, courage, obedience to borrow the colt, they faced questions, but they had a task. They had a purpose for the sake of the Lord and they obeyed him in the detail. They weren't asked to preach a sermon. They weren't asked to do a miracle. They weren't leading thousands to Christ as on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached. But their instruction was this, the Lord needs a donkey, go and get a donkey for him. And their obedience enables the king and the kingdom to advance into a city. I like this, not because I'm ignoring the entrance of Jesus, but I want to major on what is a great encouragement for me and for you. You may not be named, you may not even get up to preach or to be a leader, but actually God knows you and you are useful in his purposes. Whether you're at the front, there's a great danger these days of celebrity Christianity, of those who are on the front, those who are knowing, and we know how they can rise quickly and fall quickly as well. But actually, the kingdom is built and the church is built by the faithfulness of many people who are unnamed. And you don't mind me using that phrase, do you? Of course, God knows you. He knows you by name. But in some way, you may not be on a leaflet. You may not be a key worship leader. You may not produce a worship album. But actually, you can go and get the donkey for Jesus. And Jesus is wonderfully pleased with their obedience. It's an encouragement to receive Christ's instructions, to obey, and then find some fruit and fulfillment in that. Don't forget, obedience is the middleman. We sometimes like, you know, to receive instruction and then get fruit. But it's our obedience that matters. And these two disciples are obedient. There's no shortcuts. And you may not think of yourself as useful as other people. Let me tell you, generally in life, comparison is not your friend. Comparing yourself with others is not good. 
Because sometimes you compare yourself with others. Oh, I'm not as good as that. I'm not as great as that. I'm not as righteous. I'm not as pious. I'm not as religious and whatever. And we put ourselves down. But it's also not good for you when you look at someone else and you think I'm better than them because that leads to pride and arrogance, which can lead to a fall as well. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and says, just because you're the foot doesn't mean you can't be part of the body. The foot sometimes says, I'm not the hand, so I'm not part of the body. No, we're all part of the body. The ear says, because I'm not the eye, I'm not part of the body. Yes, you're part of the body. Play your part. I've had the privilege for many years of leading a church. And we had hundreds of people, it was about 800 people in the church. And you know, hundreds of them were faithful people. And the church was a good church, not because of my leadership or preaching or anything like that. You'll find that out this morning. But it was good. i tell you why. Because of the faithfulness of many, many people. They were the living stones in the church that Jesus was building. They were steady. They were faithful. They were available. And they were alive as well in the spirit. So let's not get caught up in celebrity Christianity or thinking it's all that goes on. There are people here who serve who you won't know their name, but they've served you this morning already. There are people out doing their children's work who may not know their name, but they're preparing the way for the kingdom. And your role is important too. There's a saying that says, blossom where you're planted. Don't waste time waiting for the grass to get greener. Blossom where you're planted. Do what you can while you can. And also be faithful in what might seem little. You may have ambitions and hope to serve the Lord with your gifting or ministry or whatever. But actually remember, when you're faithful in little, it's then that you're trusted in much. So let's be faithful. And you faithfully obey in the hidden task. You prepare the way for the kingdom, whether that's in your home, your neighborhood, in your workplace, raising children. Sometimes we have seasons that seem harder than others. We can just do the simple tasks and we prepare the way for the king. And you can make a difference. Hallelujah. What you do in a simple, straightforward, faithful way can actually help the Lord Jesus advance into cities and towns, into your neighborhood. Do you believe that? Believe it. He wants to use you. You can make a difference. On the other hand, this is my next point. Fruitless religion hinders the work of God. I want to be careful in talking about this because I don't want to be disparaging about other people who maybe worship in different ways and I'm not against sacramental worship and things like that. But we see here with the example of the fig tree and when Jesus goes into the temple to cleanse it for the second time, that actually, sometimes religion can just be show. And sometimes when it's show, it hinders the true work of God. And that's what happens here. Because Jesus curses a fruitless fig tree. And he condemns a corrupt religious practice. And when he deals with the fig tree and the temple, both of them are symbolic and symptomatic of the sad condition of Judaism the people of God. Outwardly showy, outwardly pretentious maybe, but inwardly fruitless and sadly inwardly corrupt. And that was a disappointing thing for Jesus 
and he also felt it was a disgrace. Some people have a problem with Jesus cursing the fig tree because he said it wasn't the season for figs. But apparently with fig trees, if they have leaves on them, you can often expect some fruit, even out of season. So Jesus wasn't being unfair. There was a fig tree, had so much foliage, it looked good, but he couldn't find any fruit on it at all. And he cursed it. And then he goes into the temple. There's the course of the Gentiles, a place that's a welcome area for people who are finding out more about Judaism or people who have been converted to Judaism, coming to the temple at the time of the Passover. This welcome area had become a place of self-indulgence, of profit, of transaction. Again, a big show, magnificent building, the temple. Yet inside it was dead. There was no prayer. There was no life. Little or no prayer, no charity, no grace. Maybe not thinking much about welcoming visits, more about exploiting them. No seeking God no serving others. This was superficial, self-righteous religion at its worst. And Jesus said it was a den for robbers. It was fruitless. A big show, but no fruit. And Jesus hates it. He opposes it. He dismantles it. He curses the tree and he turns the table over of those who are selling merchandise. But as he does it, it isn't just a kind of a, a fit of temper. It says, as he does this, he teaches. He's well in control. He hasn't lost control. He's doing this and he's teaching at the same time. And he shows it up as a sham. Plenty of spiritual foliage, but no fruit. A lot of pretense, really. A lot of externalism. And he says this is a hindrance to the work of God. Judaism at that time was a black hole of legalism, judgmentalism, self-righteousness. Jesus railed against false religion and false religious leaders. He had more compassion and time for the sinner, for the prostitute, for the leper, than for those who pretended to know God and be religious and yet actually were binding other people up in rules and regulations. So the poor people who were Jews didn't know what was right from wrong. The Pharisees were adding rules to rules and rules to rules, and they were the first to point out your mistakes. There was elitism. In fact, earlier in Mark, Jesus says about the Pharisees, they're ignoring God's commands for the sake of tradition. They abandoned the word of God and just lived their religious life according to their traditions. Whereas we would say, and we're not claiming to be perfect in this, we want to live and live our lives and live as churches by the word of God, not by man's tradition. Now, even charismatics, we have our tradition. Evangelicals, we have our tradition. You've got to be careful. Do you know what happens? Kind of tradition comes on you like skin comes on custard. Now, I'm not a great person in the kitchen, but I've experienced this myself. You make warm custard and leave it for a few minutes and a skin comes on it. And you know, that's what happens to us. Jesus said, there's a battle going on between the flesh and the spirit. And we want the spirit to win. And that's really important that we keep ourselves stirred up. Otherwise, we too can become crusty. 
Now, I want to say this with a smile. We're all a bit crusty now and again. That's nothing personal to any of you. But we all can feel, can't we, spiritually a bit crusty? And we feel as if we're not really on the front. We have distractions. There are things that go on. We don't feel too well. There's all sorts of things that get in the way. But the worst thing that happens when it gets crustier and crustier and crustier, and we're not stirred up by the life of God, the life of the Holy Spirit, or we're not heated up by the Word of God. And that's what can happen to us as well. We can ignore God's commands for the sake of tradition, just form. Jesus had seven woes for the, uh, the Pharisees. He mentioned them in 23. I won't mention them all, but he called them. And this, the strongest statements Jesus made were against these people, hypocrites. They tie up others in rules. They hinder the kingdom of heaven. They tithe, but they neglect justice and mercy. He said they were like whitewashed tombs, looking good on the outside, but on the inside, full of dead men's bones. No wonder these Pharisees wanted to crucify Jesus. And remember the time in John, in John chapter 3, when we're told of Nicodemus, a very religious man, coming to meet Jesus. And Jesus said to him, listen, Nicodemus, it's not about externals. You must be born again. You must be born. There must be an internal work. Religion is not, Christianity is not about externalism. We work it out, but actually it's essentially about an internal work that God does through the Holy Spirit. And we cooperate with that work. He was saying to Nicodemus, outward religious practices don't save you. They don't save you, Nicodemus. You need to be born again of the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Something that happens on the inside, a work of God. It's not our work. So we want to be careful we don't judge too quickly. Let's make sure we're not having the appearance, but actually no fruit, no fruitfulness. Uh, because fruitless religion really can put people off. I know two people I've met. One was uh, an ex-chief executive of Woking Borough Council. I won't mention him by name, but I used to meet him quite regularly when I led the church in Woking. And he was an atheist. And I had lots of conversation with him. He had lots of philosophical reasons why he didn't believe in the Abrahamic religions. That's how he put it. But talking to him, do you know what was really at the heart of it? He told me once, uh, and this is no excuse for him, but he told me he had an elderly relative who claimed to be a Christian who was the most racist person he'd ever met. And he said, that's put me off. He says, there's no real fruit. You talk to me, because I talk to him, not about legalism, but about God's grace and God's love. And he said, you talk about God's grace. He says, but I haven't met it in some of the people who are claiming to be Christians. And that's important. I have a son-in-law, my daughter, eldest daughter, married a, a guy who was not a Christian. That was a challenge for us as parents, but we love them. We get on really well with him. And I know for my son-in-law, Chris, who we love greatly, one of the obstacles is again having an elderly relative who was so prejudiced and so biased and was judgmental. Now, these men have no excuse. You know, they've got to live according to their conscience, but it's not helpful when people touch Christianity and touch something that is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So I know we're not all enthusiastic, faith-filled, 
all the time. And uh, hopefully we're not hypocritical. And it can happen to us all. Charles Spurgeon, who was a great preacher in the 19th century, he said this, if your religion does not make you holy, it will damn you. It is simply painted pageantry to go to hell in. Wow. I'm glad he wasn't my pastor. <laughs> but he said it as he saw it. Just painted pageantry to go to hell. Externalism is fruitless. It hinders God's mission. James, when he's writing his letter, he says, pure religion, which obviously implies false religion, he says, is a life lived before God, helping and serving others, for example, orphans and widows, and avoiding distraction, hypocrisy, and compromise in our lives. So my last point is this. Have faith in God and you will be fruitful. That's good news. Do you know, I'm optimistic about being fruitful. Not because I've led a church or I go out preaching or whatever. I'm optimistic, right, about being fruitful because God has promised it for me. God has chosen me to be fruitful. And that's a big stress reliever. There'll be some seasons when I'm more fruitful than others. There'll be some seasons when I feel more engaged in his purposes than others. But I still believe what God says about me. Jesus said to his disciples, you've been chosen to bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Isn't that good news? So I'm optimistic. I'm confident. I'm not casual about it. I'm not saying it will happen anyhow, anyway. I want to... I want to, in some way, cooperate with God's work in my life, that I will serve him. But I've been chosen to be fruitful. You have been chosen to be fruitful. Why don't you, and I don't like this when people do it to me, but I'm going to ask you to do it. Why don't you turn to someone near to you and say, God has chosen you to be fruitful. Go on and say it in a nice way. You don't need to tell them your life history. Just say, <laughs> just say God's chosen you to be fruitful. You know, we can fall short, but, you know, we concentrate on that. We can just feel condemned. I can tell you this morning, you don't love God enough. It's true, but it doesn't help you. All right, we all are growing in it, and there's more fruit. And Jesus talks to him and says, you're chosen to bear fruit. And then there'll be more fruit, and then there'll be much fruit. I find that really encouraging. That actually, an apple tree doesn't stay there and think, I must grow apples. I must grow some apples as soon as possible. He just puts the roots down, and apples come. Isn't that true? So where are we putting our roots? Have faith in God and you will be fruitful. What is the fruit? It's the character of Jesus Christ, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's being a good witness to Jesus, being Christ-like. It is doing good works, but they're, uh, they're not a proof, they're a fruit. It's not as if we're as Christians, I must be fruitful, I must be fruitful. no. What we do is put our roots down into Jesus. 
Abide in him. Enjoy him and let him enjoy you. And I promise you this. According to God's word, you will be fruitful. Jesus said it. If you abide in me, if you're joined with me, you will bear fruit. That's a big stress reliever. You don't need a tick list. Do you understand? I must do that to show I'm a good Christian. I must attend on Sundays. I must read my Bible every day, whatever it is. These things can help and they will help. But actually, be connected with Jesus. And you will bear fruit. And Jesus even says here, there's going to be times of God-given faith and confidence when you will see mountains moved. Hallelujah. You will be able to, when you know God's will and you can pray God's will, there might be a gift of faith in a certain circumstance and you speak to mountains and they will be removed. But that happens when we abide. It isn't according to our whim or our fancy or our comfort because we want something out of the way. God is sovereign, we're not. But he's a good heavenly father and he wants to give you good things. And he wants to make a way for his kingdom. So when he says have faith in God and mountains will move, it's not really a proof verse that we can just pull out and name it and claim it and frame it. We need to know God's will. We need to be in line with God's will. And God will use us and mountains will move. Hallelujah. Obstacles will move. But that's maybe not all the way we see ourselves as being fruitful. Our fruitfulness may be more shown in our faithfulness, in our workplace, in our home, in our college, in our school, whatever we're called to do, being a good neighbor. We just had a neighbor move from us and he fell out with all the other neighbors and Pam and I have just kept contact. We didn't agree with what he'd done, but all the other neighbors kind of ganged up on them. And I'm not saying we were perfect in it, but we just maintained a contact and chatted and said hello to them and so on. And they've just left and uh, I chatted to him and she said, I'm sorry about things I might have done wrong. And I said, listen, we live under God's grace and mercy. May God bless you as you go. And I wasn't giving him the papal blessing, clear off, uh, or anything like that. (laughs) What I was doing, I was just saying, "God, God can make a difference. Right, in your life. And we can make a difference where we are. That hasn't borne any fruit apparently yet, but it may do. The kindness. He knew that I was a, a pastor of a vicar, a man of God, he called me. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> so let's have faith in God. What it really means here is more trusting in God's faithfulness, in his power and his purposes. You know, your step of faith is not maybe all the time mountain-moving faith. It can be like a mustard seed. In the Old Testament, there's like a perhaps Samuel doesn't know, and he says, perhaps the Lord will give us victory. There's a perhaps there, but at least he moves forward with the perhaps. Sometimes when we have the perhaps, we step back. I'm not quite sure, but let's even with our small faith move forward. And God will help us. So what are your faith roots reaching down into? Please don't reach, let them reach down into religious practice. But reach down into a relationship with God, the Trinity. So during this same week, 
when Jesus curses the fig tree and turns the tables over in the temple. Jesus also is teaching the disciples about being fruitful in John 15 and 16. And he says these words, they're a real encouragement to me. I hope they are to you. He says, God, our sovereign God, is also our father and he also is a gardener. Jesus said, I'm a vine, you're the branches. He says, that's what you are. But he teaches this. If our sovereign God is a good father and a gardener, I tell you what, gardeners do what they can for good fruit. They don't just chop things down for the sake of it. My wife is a keen gardener. She knows the names of some of these wonderful things. Right? I just do the heavy work and, you know, she, she can tell what they are and when they're coming out in season. All of these things, she knows when to prune them. All of it, it's, she is a good gardener. And do you know what? She wants fruit. She wants those flowers to blossom. She's not trying to find fault with them. She's not trying to cut them down. What encourages me is I have a good father who wants me to bear fruit. He's a gardener who wants to see fruit in my life. Jesus says that he's a vine tree. And he says, if you're joined to him, you'll be fruitful. What a great promise. Let's be connected in faith with Jesus. But he also says this, if you're separated from him, you're like dead wood. Let's abide in him. And Jesus promises also in chapter 16 of John's gospel, the Holy Spirit. So there you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all working together for you to be fruitful. That's a brilliant encouragement. I hope you're receiving this, right? It's not about you working harder. It's about putting your roots down into Jesus, enjoying him, being filled with the Spirit who's our enabler, who equips us, who reminds us that we're loved by God and the children of God. So be optimistic. Be optimistic. You've been chosen to be fruitful. And God is for you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But God is also looking for fruit. He doesn't do that in a harsh way, but we see from the fig tree, sometimes there can be a lot of show and nothing there. I've got a, a granddaughter called Amala. She's now 13. When she was about three or four, she was in our house and she went into the bathroom and saw the bathroom scales. And she said, Granddad, I said, what? She said, can I stand on them? I said, yes. She said, I want to see how much my feet weigh. <laughs> That's a great comment, isn't it? That's just brilliant, the way children think. I want to stand on the scales and see how much. Don't all of us wish it just told us how much our feet weigh, right? You see, when we present ourselves to God, he just doesn't weigh where our feet come on a Sunday morning. He weighs where we walk day by day and how we walk. And he does that as a caring, loving father who is for you and wants you to bear fruit so that he will be glorified. Authentic religion is a life of active faith in God through Jesus Christ. Trusting his goodness and his faithfulness and it will produce good fruit. Hallelujah. False religion is a life trusting in religious actions, attendance, religious accoutrements without being joined to Jesus. 
and it can be a hindrance to God's purposes. Guy Miller last week, one of his statements was this, let's build bridges, not walls. Let's be those who live out a life of love and grace and welcoming, that it's not just all about us, but it is inviting people into what we have in the of God. Let's make sure we serve God's purposes, not our piety and not our pride. Maybe you're in a barren or a hard season. Well, we've all been there. We've all been there. God knows, but I can say to, to you, even if you're in a difficult season, you don't feel you're doing or much is coming of what you're trying to do in following the Lord, then you can still be optimistic because we have a good shepherd who restores our soul. Just ask God to renew you, to restore you. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.